Hey everybody, I'm Connor, that's Doug, and welcome to the Yellowstone Podcast, where we dig deep into everyone's favorite neo-western television show. In today's episode, we'll examine all the murder, mayhem, and melodrama that's unfolding right now in the Yellowstone universe. We'll also unveil our incredibly accurate personality test to determine once and for all if Doug is more of a John Dutton or a Rip Wheeler. After that, we'll take an audio road trip over to Darby, Montana to tour the real-life Dutton Ranch. And we all know where the Dutton family was in 1883 and 1923, but we'll finish up this episode with a little speculative fan fiction about where the Dutton clan will be in 2083. Will the Duttons own the entire state of Montana by then? Will there be flying cars? How many spin-offs will there be? Connor, Connor, don't make me take you to the train station. You know we can't do that show, even though you're from Montucky. This is The Bethel School District Presents a podcast about the Bethel School District, and we have a great show for you all this week. Connor is going to sit down with one of our amazing journalism teachers to talk about media literacy. But first, we're going to recap some of the big news that came out of our most recent school board meeting. The memberships of our teachers and classified employees unions have reviewed the proposed calendar for the 23-24 school year, and our school board has approved the first and last day of school for next year. They are September 5th, 2023 for our first day, and June 21st, 2024 for our last day. We all know that equity teams at our buildings are working hard, and Assistant Superintendent Dr. Brian Lowney gave an example from some of the work he saw being done after a visit he had to Challenger High School. It's what they're calling voice circles. Authentic student voice is found by providing the space and place for their voices to be heard. We know how important that is to our students and their families, and to be honest, to our staff to hear authentic student voice. Members of the equity team then took that feedback from the students and presented it to the Challenger staff during a recent waiver day training and worked on next steps based on the feedback from students. The equity team is also discussing how to use the voice circle process in engaging parents in the community. Uh, it's a process that can be replicated not just with students, but with parents and community members. So we're proud of that collaboration. And we are excited to break a little news here. Our equity team is also involved in upcoming changes to student dress codes. It's a teaming of our equity department, our principals, our schools, our school staff, our parents, and most importantly, students to try to increase some ownership in our district policy around student dress code. We plan to bring a revised board policy for your consideration this spring. And we'll be sure to share more about those dress code changes as we learn more. Assistant Superintendent Dr. David Hammond told the school board one of their initiatives at the elementary level is called the Instructional Cycle, and it has to do with how professional development is rolled out to staff, where it comes from, and who all has eyes on it before it's presented. Dr. Hammond also talked the board through the process they're using this year to include more voices and more people in that planning process. The instructional cycle kicked off with a principal guiding committee working with teaching and learning to determine the content areas based on surveys and building feedback. They develop a plan and take it to ELA and math leaders from all around the district who have a very important role in the process. And they work to improve, to poke holes, to ask questions, to push. The teaching and learning department then takes that data tweaks it a little more, brings it back to the entire principal group, which we did today right here in this room. And the entire principal group then looks at what the input was from the teachers and goes through and hones it even a little bit more. And only after that does it go out to staff as professional development. It's really great to have all these voices involved. And a recent example of that involved Eureka Math. One math leader at Spanaway Elementary, Haley Arnold, tried the new ideas with her students and gave feedback to the group based on that. She gave us some really good feedback and was appreciative 
of the direction that we're heading. And she gave us pictures of her kids working together. And we were able to talk about this in our elementary principal group today and how it worked and hear from the principal about the feedback. So we're just going through those many, many layers to try to hone the PD that we're giving. And then when it's all said and done and we give the PD, then we have feedback that comes from teachers. Lots of voices involved in the professional development that our teachers are getting is ever evolving. But sometimes those voices do give some very honest feedback. I have to admit the first one was a little rocky when we rolled it out and, and talked about the topic that we were going to do. There were some teachers that said, well, I know Eureka. I teach it. I've, I've taught it for nine years, eight years. This is a waste of my time. So we learned, well, we've got to rule it out a little bit differently and provide more explanation. But when the PD happened, they saw that it was new. It was putting together some skills that we haven't previously looked at based on, you know, how our kids have been doing. And one final thing from the school board meeting was a shout out board director John Manning had for two of our longtime employees who have announced their retirements. Two individuals that are retiring that the, the board probably noticed in there, David yes. Wells. He's been a valued member of the Bethel team for many, many years, has been instrumental in quite a few projects and, and making sure we got them all undone on time and on budget. And I think uh, just to have him recognized. Uh, the other person would be Senior Master Sergeant Steve Koch over at Bethel High School. I had the pleasure to be able to work with him when I was in the Air Force a long time ago. He went on to put in 20 years and then came over to start up the Bethel High School Junior ROTC program. And it's been a outstanding program. It's well recognized as one of the best in the state. And I wish him well too. Really great to hear about those two storied careers here in Bethel. On the other end of that spectrum, Connor caught up with Graham Kapowson High School first year journalism teacher Cole Polson to talk about why journalism still matters and the importance of teaching media literacy to teenagers. Joining us today is Graham Kapowson High School journalism and ELA teacher Cole Polson. Cole, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we'll start with the easy stuff here. Can you give me a little bit about your background? Where are you from? How'd you get involved in teaching? And what made you interested in journalism? Yeah, so I started uh, college in 2014 in Minnesota at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Kind of went back and forth in my uh, future career choices, but definitely settled on teaching pretty early on. I knew I wanted to be an English teacher, at least work in the field of language arts at some point in, in some capacity. And I think really the deciding factor for me being a teacher is that I grew up with, with teachers as parents, and so I got to see what that life was like, and it always kind of interested me. So settled on that probably around my sophomore year, got through my program, graduated in 2018, and from there got my license to teach grades 5 through 12 in Minnesota. And I started off my first year as a high school teacher. I taught ninth and 10th grade. From then on, it was a small school that I worked at, a really cool town called Lesueur in, in south central Minnesota. But from there forth, um, because it's such a small school, I got to work in a variety of different positions uh, within language arts. So first year is ninth and 10th, next year is ninth and 12th. Year after that, I got to teach a couple of concurrent enrollment courses, ended up teaching yearbook a little bit too, which really got me into the field of journalism. So from there, you know, a big dream of mine was always to move out west to Washington. I've got family out here and I've always enjoyed it. So I uh, applied for a job out here, was fortunate enough to get a job with the Bethel School District at Graham Kapowson. And in my interview, we talked a little bit about my experience with yearbook and there's an opening for a journalism course. And I said, man, I'd, I'd love to do that. I've never taught journalism exclusively, but it's always been something that I've been interested in looking into. To. So that's where I'm at right now. And and you haven't actually started the journalism class. That will start next trimester. What are you most excited about? What are you most nervous about? It's a really good question. I think the 
biggest source of anxiety with that class is that this kind of comes from other teachers who have been teaching the course as well in trimesters prior. Just getting through that first portion of the course where we're talking about journalism laws and student laws, things like that, because I know how important that is for students to understand from my experience too when, when we go over things like that with Supreme Court cases and, and, and the decisions from those and how they affect students in, in press laws and whatnot. They're not always the most engaged. And so I think just getting the students engaged in that stuff before they get to the quote-unquote more fun stuff with writing and learning how to write uh, news stories, things like that, will be a little bit tough, but but I'm up for the challenge. Most excited, definitely the writing aspect of things. I, you know, the, the students that take those types of courses, that take electives like that, um, really seem to be getting into it because they want to do what the, what the core content is. And, I, you know, for journalism, of course, is is, is broadcasting and, and, and writing. And so I think getting into that aspect of the class is going to be really exciting. We'll, so we'll see how that goes with the kids, but uh, I'm certainly pumped for it myself. And, and I imagine, you know, chances are the majority of the students who take this class won't end up in the field of professional journalism. Why is it still important to learn these things, even if you end up doing something else as a career? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most important things that a student taking that course who doesn't actually go into journalism could take away from it would be media literacy. Um, just understanding what we would define as a credible source versus a non-credible source or fake news. It's, you know, we... I think as teachers a lot of times expect students in this day and age, you know, with media all around us, to, that, that students would know that stuff just by experiencing it. However, my experience as an ELA teacher over the past five or so years here, it's, it, students don't. They have a tough time with that. And, and with sources nowadays, especially those false sources or fallacious sources, really adapting well to, to appearing as if they're credible when they're not can be actually, you know, it's a very dangerous thing. It spreads misinformation and, and students tend to not realize that. And so really digging into that and, and just understanding how we can decipher credible sources versus non-credible sources and, and the effect of spreading misinformation on society. I think that's going to be a very important skill that uh, that those students take away from it. I'm really glad you brought up media literacy because that is so important, not just for students, but for adults as well. We all have that aunt who gets all the information from Facebook and pass it along and it's gospel to them when for someone who's semi-media literate, you understand that that's probably not the most accurate story. Let us be your students for a moment, the, the good listeners of our podcast. Give us a few tips for how we can parse what's good media, what's bad media, where we can look. Give us kind of the 101 of that. Sure, yeah. What I always tell students is first and foremost, make sure you are choosing a source that on the surface looks credible. If you're looking at something that's obviously written by your Uncle Dave in their basement, don't do that. Don't use blog posts things like that for the most part. When you come across sources that do look credible on the surface, then start digging deeper into them. What's the organization? Who's the author? Take a look at that. You know, is what you're looking at actually relevant to what you're researching? If so, well, are they are they providing secondary sources for their own research? Take a look at their reasoning too. Are they trying to persuade you? Are they being fallacious with their reasoning? Is there some sort of motive for them? Or are they just trying to inform you? Um, and so those are kind of the main things that we, that we touch on at first. And from there, we'll start digging deeper into things. But I think those are some things that students, again, really tend to look over and look past when they're looking at sources for the first time. They, they see something on the internet, they think, uh, well, it's on the internet, it's posted, obviously it's got to be good. But it's important that we, that we start digging into those individual aspects of those sources that they look at. And you mentioned you're going to touch on some of the history of journalism, some of the laws surrounding, I'm sure you'll look at libel and slander laws, things like that. And then you mentioned getting into the fun stuff, which is kind of writing and, and producing journalism. Can you tell us a little bit about what that will look like, how you will set that up for students? Will you kind of give them a scenario and they'll write stories or, or how's that going to work? Yeah, it's going to be really scaffolded and we're, and we're, you know, as a department trying to work out some different ideas. But really right now, I think what we're starting off with is, is just taking 
taking a look at, you know, what a basic news story looks like, picking it apart, seeing how different types of news stories are created, seeing what students are interested in. And I think we're going to start off by writing some pretty basic stories, maybe some feature stories about people in the school or events going on around here. Prior to that, even getting into interviewing, figuring out how that works before we, you know, actually write. And then giving students an opportunity to write once they get, you know, writing some more um, straightforward styles of stories down, depending on their skill level and how they're doing with that, giving them some opportunities to uh, to work with different types of stories in their own and, and, and see what they're interested in and hopefully maybe even, you know, find a beat that they like to work with if that's something that they want to get into in their future. So GK actually doesn't have a student newspaper. Is that something you'd look into starting up? I'd like to. From what I understand in the past, there was some semblance of a newspaper, but it's fizzled out over the years. Uh, and so I don't think we're going to get to this year, unfortunately, just because journalism in this within this year, it comes at the last trimester of the school year. So, you know, I'd like to get a feel for the students, how they react to it, see how they are, and if they'd make a good staff, uh, hopefully maybe next year start looking into setting up uh, just something small and going from there. But we'll see. That's I'd, I'd like to. It's something that I've always wanted to try and never had an opportunity to. So it will take quite a bit of work, but that's certainly in the plans at the very least. Sounds like your students are going to have a lot on their plate. But at the end of the day, when the trimester is over, what's the kind of one big takeaway you hope they leave with? I think the biggest thing is just increasing their interest in writing overall, whether it be, you know, nonfiction writing and going into journalism. It'd be great if they did. But at the very least, you know, just getting students interested in using writing to get their ideas out into the world. So like I said, whether that be nonfiction journalism or that be, you know, creative writing, if they want to go a completely different path than what we do in journalism, that's fine with me. I just want to see that we have more writers getting uh, getting their stuff published in the world. Well, thank you so much, Cole. Appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. And that's our show for this week. Connor, I do have a confession. You kick things off talking about Yellowstone. That's a show I've never actually seen. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's basically Melrose Place in the mountains of Montana. Ooh, 90s television. This is where I'm a Viking. So is Kevin Costner, does he play the Michael character? Is he more the Sydney? I mean, I don't, he couldn't be Amanda. That would be ridiculous. All right, this could go on for a while. We'll see you next week. We all know that equity teams at our buildings are working hard, and Assistant Superintendent Dr. Brian Lowney gave an example at a recent school board meeting of some of the work they're doing that he saw on a visit to Challenger. (laughs) Slow it down. Each word counts. Great interview, Connor, and that is going to end our show. We kick things off today with a little love for Yellowstone, which is a show I have never seen. Me neither. And we both sat here for a little while trying to find a good quote or meme to end the show with that people would know. And all we're coming up with is pictures of some guy named Rip. True.